It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Dell Technologies. At CDWG, we get that migrating your agency to a hyper-converged infrastructure is challenging. Like me switching to decaf. Gotta do it, don't wanna do it, but gotta do it. Whoa, slow down, friend. CDWG's experts can help simplify your transition from legacy to hyper-converged infrastructure with Dell EMC solutions that offer speed and agility. Do it, do it. Have you done it? Is it done yet? Why isn't it done yet? IT orchestration by CDWG. People who get it. Find out more at cdwg.com slash EMC. It is the Lockdown Bengals Podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. I don't know if you're aware of this because the team is 0-3 and we're not really talking about it too much, but it's Steelers week. I haven't seen enough It's Steelers week tweets and enough people hyped up to beat down the 0-3 Pittsburgh Steelers. All of that being said, it is crossover Wednesday too, so later on in the show you'll hear Joe crossover with Lockdown Steelers for a little bit of a game preview and hopefully it won't get too bloody. Hopefully the relationship between Locked On Steelers and Locked On Bengals can be a little bit more civil than the relationship between the Bengals and the Steelers on the field. We'll see how that goes in a little bit. Before we get to the crossover, the Bengals signed a cornerback to the practice squad today and released a halfback to compensate. Meanwhile, projections for the draft order for 2020 are already starting to trickle in with the season begun. So let's talk about that bit of news and the projections that the Bengals might be picking in the top five. The Cincinnati Bengals today on their off day announced that they signed Greg Mabin, a cornerback to the practice squad, and released Jordan Ellis, the undrafted free agent halfback, who had a solid enough preseason to make the practice squad with Travion Williams injured. Travion Williams has since returned from his injury, and the Bengals have sustained some injuries at corner with Darquez Denard still in the PUP, and B.W. Webb nursing an arm injury. This move makes some sense. They need some depth at corner. They like what Darius Phillips did on his limited snaps. They rotated him with Tony McRae in the slot on Sunday against Buffalo. We'll see if Darius Phillips continues to get some playing time going forward as he had an interception, had that kickoff return call back for a touchdown, has perhaps earned a little bit more of the coach's trust and a little bit more opportunity as young guys start to get on the field more and more as the season goes on. If you're looking for a connection from Greg Mabin to this current Bengals coaching staff, the only one I could find was Mark Duffner, an assistant on the defensive side of the ball, was a linebackers coach in Tampa when Greg Mabin was signed there as a college free agent. Mabin, in addition to time in Tampa, has spent some time with the Buffalo Bills and San Francisco 49ers and has played in 20 career games as an undrafted free agent, so there's a pretty good chance that he could be a call-up if needed. He's got some experience at the professional level. 
totaling nearly 300 snaps on special teams and 235 more at corner. Most of that, at least in recent history, being at outside corner. So he's not going to help much at the slot, but maybe they feel like they can move William Jackson inside to the slot if they need to, or just put him in when they feel like they've got the matchups that they want. But regardless, this is a depth signing. You probably won't see Greg Maven active anytime soon unless there are further injuries, and Zach Taylor said they got out of the Bills game pretty healthy. Now let's talk about the projected draft order for 2020 as this has started to come in from Football Outsiders who does their projections based on DVOA, which is a it's a complicated formula that essentially determines a team's performance compared to the league average based on situation to determine value over average, DVOA, value over average. And according to DVOA, the Bengals have the second best chances in the NFL behind Miami at that top pick in the 2020 NFL draft. They give Miami a 52.8% chance at the first overall pick and a 90% chance at a top five pick. Cincinnati has a 10.3% chance at that top pick overall and a 52% chance at a top five pick. DVOA is not bullish on the Bengals, and that is not a surprise. They struggle mightily against San Francisco. They didn't have good preseason projections, which factors into it at this point. And until they show that they can go out there and win some games, which they very well could, they could rattle off some wins here, don't get me wrong. The projections right now, based on what we know, have the Bengals looking likely to pick in the top five. Some other teams in the area, Denver, 44% chance at a top five pick. Washington, 41% chance. Arizona, 41% chance. And the New York Giants, a 35% chance. Now, if Pittsburgh still had their first round pick, which they traded for Minka Fitzpatrick, they are currently at 3.7% at the top pick and 31.5% for a top five pick. I don't know if this at all accounts for the fact that Ben Roethlisberger is now out. And since it does incorporate some of Football Outsiders preseason projections, that might in fact be the case. Over at ESPN, they use FPI or the Football Power Index to come up with their way of computerized ranking NFL teams. And in that scenario, it looks like the Bengals are a little bit less likely to earn a top pick. They have the Bengals at just 4.7% compared to Miami's 76.6% chance to get that number one overall pick. Cincinnati is right there with Washington, Arizona at 48 to 4.6%. But they also have the Bengals at about a 51% chance to get a top five pick. Yesterday, I talked with Paul Daner from The Athletic, and he said that if the Bengals are picking in that top three, top five area, they're certainly considering quarterback. Because with guys like Bill Callahan, Zach Taylor, and Alex Van Pelt in the room, and that's three quarterback coaches that have gotten good play out of quarterbacks wherever they've been. If Andy Dalton doesn't play better and they end up winning three, four games, well, that means that it might be time to move on at quarterback. Of course, Andy Dalton has one year left on his deal. I imagine that he'll have every chance in the world to earn the opportunity to play that deal out. But from the start of this season, I wouldn't say he's earned that extension that was talked about a little bit. Mike Brown went so far as admitting that it wasn't time to make that choice yet. But Andy Dalton, like I said, he'll have every chance to right the ship to what has been a relatively rough start of the season. And he has another chance at a win when the Bengals go to Pittsburgh on Monday night. And what a win it would be for Zach Taylor as his first win for the Cincinnati Bengals to take down Pittsburgh on primetime. Next up, Joel crossover with Locked On Steelers. Tony and Chris to talk about this edition of the Bengals-Steelers brawl in Pittsburgh coming up on Monday night. 
And just before we hear from them, let me tell you about the most useful app on my phone. It can be hard to find the time to sit down and read and learn more. And when you don't have free time, you can't read or work on your personal development. There's an incredible app that solves this problem, and I highly recommend it. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is really unique, and it works on your phone, your tablet, your web browser, whatever you need. It takes the key best takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books, the best books out there, condenses them into 15 minutes so you can just read or listen to. You've probably heard of How to Win Friends and Influence People, a classic by Dale Carnegie, or The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. You can get the key takeaways of those in 15 minutes from Blinkist. Blinkist offers you unlimited access to read or listen a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all for one low price. And for now, you can get a limited time offer just for our audience. Go over to Blinkist.com slash LockedOn and try it for free for seven days and get 25% off your subscription. That's Blinkist spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash LockedOn to start your seven-day trial and save 25% off. Guys, let's talk about sex. Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up as twice as fast as a pill. So you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Let me tell you, we get free samples. And if you think Marshawn Lynch has a good stiff arm, you've seen nothing yet. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor visits, no waiting at the pharmacy, and best of all, no awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than the pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code LOCKEDON. Just pay the $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code LOCKEDON to try it free. BlueChew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Lockdown Bengals podcast. All right, this is Tony Serino from Locked On Steelers with my co-host Christopher Carter, and we are here with Joe Goodberry of Locked On Bengals for our Crossover Wednesday edition. Joe, let's start with when the Bengals have the ball. Uh, Steeler fans are going to want to know, without Marvin Lewis, right, they, they, a new offense installed there for Andy Dalton, how does it look so far through three games in Cincinnati? Yeah, we expected this Ram-style offense when they brought in Zach Taylor. I mean, that's where he got his his name. That's where he, he got the job, basically, is what he did with the with the Rams as their quarterbacks and receivers coach the last two years. So even he, he, he himself said that uh, the reason he's brought there is to bring the Rams offense. We haven't exactly seen that in terms of um, the wide zone running scheme and the success on the ground. I think that's really what the Rams are known for. Then from there, they build their play action, and they'll, they'll try and stretch you horizontally and deep. The Bengals right now are living off the big play on offense. Well, I think the, the play calls and the designs are similar to what the Rams have been doing. They're just not getting the execution. The offensive line has been really poor. Andy Dalton hasn't played well. Uh, the, the miscues, whether it be on the offensive line or drops by like John Ross or really Joe Mixon hasn't been running that well. There's been too many errors to really see this offense take full flight. So right now I say it's still a work in progress because it is, because I think they're trying to figure out how they can function. And you may want to be a Ram style offense, but you got to figure out how to function with the issues you have currently. 
So, Joe, I wanted to talk about the the Bengals passing game because right now they are they they they're able to you know they're not putting up a whole lot of points, but they have 925 yards. That's third best in the, in the league right now, and they're doing it without AJ Green. What do you think are the are the, are the positive aspects of the of their passing game? You talk about the big play capability, but what are, what are some of the maybe some some signs of consistency from Dalton with Tyler Boyd and the other receivers that he's working with? And that's it. It's Boyd and Dalton. They have, uh, starting last year, they just had a, a really good repertoire between them where it's, if something breaks down, third downs from the slot, uh, Boyd just finds a spot to get open. He, he's he's like that TJ Hushmanzada and Carson Palmer connection where those guys just, you know, connect on 10 balls for 10 first downs on 10 targets. And that's just super efficient. And, and that's how they've been going the last couple of weeks. And really this year, I mean, Boyd's on pace for over 120 catches this year. I don't know if that'll um, maintain as as AJ Green gets back, but he's been Mr. Reliable for this team and for this offense. And without him, they'd be in trouble. But uh, on the other side, John Ross and his big plays. I mean, he's got three touchdowns that 33, 55, and 66 yards. That without those, they wouldn't have anything. I mean, that's a lot of yards. It's a lot of points. They've really not been good in the red zone. They haven't really haven't been good on the other side of the field and in, in the opponent's territory. So when they get down there. They they don't have the guys really in the red zone. And you, you would think with Tyler Eifert, uh, and he has been healthy, that they'd be able to use him, and he's been a red zone threat his whole career. But it doesn't seem like he has the same burst and spark. And, I mean, with all the injuries he's had, it's I guess it's no surprise. So they're really struggling on the other side of the field. When things start to get condensed and they can't get the big plays or Ross isn't saving them um, with his elite speed. So uh, as of right now, it's really the consistency stuff with Boyd and then hopefully get a big shot with Ross. Besides that, they, that's that's their offense, and that's what they're relying on. Uh, going back to the running game with Joe Mixon, you know he had 1,000 yards last year, averaged almost five yards a carry. This year, just 88 yards, less than three yards a carry. Is that an indictment on, on Mixon, who's maybe taking a step backwards? Is it still a work in progress in that offensive line? The line is still bad. It was bad last year, though. But I think they had a better scheme. They had a better O-line coach last year in terms of getting everyone together and gelled pretty quickly. This year, they, you know, they drafted Jonah Williams in the first round, number 11 overall. They expect him to be their guy, right? And he's hurt as soon as OTAs uh, conclude. And they got to make a shuffle. And then Clinton Bowling, their longtime left guard, retires. So they got to shuffle again. And then Cordy Glenn has now been in concussion protocol for like 35 days. So they've had to shuffle again. They just, it's a bad line that's had to go to like the fourth string tackle, that's had to go to the, the third string left guard at this point. And they've had issues because of it. And they were rotating all the way into the last day of camp, into the last week of preseason, trying to figure out what the best mix is. And then they get out there and they, you know, Andre Smith gets hurt for a half or, you know, three quarters. Um, Michael Jordan, who was a rookie left guard, got hurt. So they had to insert their last year's first round pick, Billy Price, which actually ended up being an upgrade, but still more changing and more inconsistency with, with the line mates. So you can tell they're a little bit rusty and things keep uh, being off just a click in the run game. But I will say Joe Mixon also only had one preseason carry. He looked pretty rusty to start the year. And there were some holes that he was just a, a little slow on or didn't see the cutback lane or just wasn't getting there quick enough. Last week was the first time I think he sh- looked like himself from the, from last year. And maybe that's a sign that they're improving. I, I hope it is because uh, without that run game, it, everything's on Andy Dalton. And we know how that can go sometimes. So, Okay. They, the Bengals are 15th in the league. They're, 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 they're right in the middle and third down conversion rate. What has been their strength on third down? Because, I mean, you know, 
fifteenth. You know, they're they're kind of like you know in the middle of the league. They're running the middle, but but at the same time, you know that that means that somebody has been available for Andy Dalton because it can't be the run game because they have one hundred and twenty six yards through three games. So right. is, is it just Tyler Boyd, or is does he have another safety net somewhere that he that that the Steelers should be looking for because. You're, you're looking at this game, and the Steelers have a lot of problems covering the middle of the field lately. If they take away Boyd, that's great, but I, I feel like Dalton's going to have a security blanket ready to to counter that. It's been Eifert, and he's been incredibly consistent. He hasn't had the big plays yet. He's averaging, I think, like seven and a half yards per catch. But uh, a lot of third down conversions, a lot of tight grabs, a lot of, you know, just that's who he's always been, a big body that can that can be open with him even when he's not. And Dalton trusts him. Dalton will throw to Tyler Eifert no matter who's around him. He's Dalton's weird in terms of uh, trusting guys right away or feeling comfortable or throwing with anticipation all the time. He'll throw it to Green no matter what. He'll throw it to Eifert no matter what. Now Tyler Boyd recently the last two years, as, as those other two guys have been hurt, has been he'll throw it to him no matter what. He trusts those guys to get into the right spot and be there. Uh, so with having those two, Eifert and, and Boyd, on third downs and over the middle, and that's where Dalton throws the best also is really a good combo. And and that should keep them going on third downs. And last week was a mess for the first half. I don't think they converted one third down and they end up looking up at halftime. They're down 14, nothing. So that's a, a big factor is, is getting those two involved and getting them open in that situation. Going over to the Bengals on defense. The, it's so strange looking at the Bengals because they're, they're holding teams to around 20 points a game. When you take out that 49ers game where things kind of got out of control, but then you look at like, you know, total yards given up and it's over 400 a game. Where, where are the Bengals right now? Are they closer to a team that's, you know, giving, should be giving up about 20 ish points a game or was that 49ers game more indicative of where they are defensively? I think 49ers might be good. It was weird coming out of that game because uh, you look at them and you guys just played them, right? So you got to see firsthand. And I just was like, you know, maybe they're a little bit better than I expected. And they've been interesting. Kyle Shanahan's been interesting for the last few years. And, uh, you know, he hasn't had Jimmy Garoppolo out there. So now that he does, they, you know, everything should look a little crisper. And it just, it may have been just a terrible matchup for the Bengals. All the horizontal stuff they do, misdirection, they have like 40 different run plays from different personnel and different packages. And it just threw the Bengals off completely. And they, the 49ers look super fast and the Bengals defense is not fast at all. And I think the mix of the play calls plus the the strengths and weaknesses of this team uh, really limited what the Bengals could do. And it, it, it got out of hand quickly, and it's you know you've been you, you you watch those games sometimes when it when your team is just outmatched, and you're like okay it's you know 14 10 it's all right you're still into this next thing you know it's 28 10 next thing you know it's 35 to 13 you're like how did this happen now, what what happened here the defense just never got off the field at all they've been struck they've struggled to tackle uh, they've struggled to create turnovers so I, I think you know the games I look at with Seattle and Buffalo much better defensive performances. In fact, I think each of those games you should win if you get any, if you get anything more out of your offense in either of those games in terms of consistency and actually scoring when you get to the the opponent's side of the field. They could be 2 and 1 in those in those three games. So, I would take those performances. I think the, that's who they are or trending more towards, but they're still they still have a lot of issues that can be exploited and if uh you know if the Steelers or whoever else down the line continue to hurt the Bengals in terms of like speed and misdirection, it's gonna continue to bite him. So let's talk about the um, let's talk let's talk about the pass rush of the Bengals. Sam Hubbard came out, and I believe he, he he came out and got two sacks on the Seahawks. Yeah, and, uh, and he looked red hot. Um, but since then, you know, the only other people who got sacks, uh, you have Drake Kirkpatrick, Carlos Dunlap, and Geno Atkins, each with one. Uh, the pass rush was something that 
ha- that haggled the, the Steelers last week that, you know, Nick Bosa and D Ford, they were all getting after Mason Rudolph and collapsing the pocket, which is something the Steelers aren't used to having to deal with uh, in, in recent history because when Ben Roethlisberger was, was, was having clean pockets, what's, what do you, what do you see in the Bengals pass rush? Is Hubbard coming along or was that a, was that a spurt? And do you think that there's uh, there's something coming together with their, with their front four that they're put, that they're working on? They love Hubbard. And um, well, I remember when he was drafted third round last year, and a lot of people thought maybe he's got a cap ceiling. Maybe he doesn't have the upside, right? And uh, they come out this year, and he looks quicker. He looks more athletic. He looks stronger. And he's their base end on the opposite side of Carlos Dunlap. And uh, last the first week when he had two sacks, one was he's basically unblocked, and uh, Russell Wilson's bootlegging towards him, and he contains him, and Wilson can't outrun him. I think even Wilson underestimated uh Hubbard's athleticism and Hubbard takes him down. The other one, he beats the right tackle cleanly and Seattle's got a poor offensive line. So it was a poor right tackle, but he did beat him uh, on the outside around the edge too. So that that's also something I didn't think he'd be, uh, or it wouldn't be an area he excelled at. I thought Hubbard would be better interior rusher, a guy that would, that relies on power moves, uh, but he won with finesse and speed. So I do like him, and I think there's upside there. He was in a walking boot after after Sunday's game versus the Bills, so we kind of have to wonder what's going on there. The Bengals have gotten beat up a little bit at end as Carl Lawson has dealt with a hamstring issue, didn't play last week. West, last week, Kerry Wynn is in concussion protocol. We'll see if he gets out in time for Monday, but uh, they've been beat up at the end spot, and yeah, they really haven't gotten the pressure from the other D-tackle spot. And really, they've got Geno Atkins, and then it's Ryan Glasgow, Josh Tupau, and Andrew Billings. They like all three of those other guys, but they're, you know, all, Glasgow's a try-hard overachiever. While the other two are big nose-tackle types, they're not going to get a lot of pressure. So what the Bengals do is, or what they'd like to do, is go with three defensive ends and one D-tackle. Being Geno Atkins, who's still really good, even though he seems to be tightening up a little bit and as he gets older. Uh, but, you know, if you have Carl Lawson healthy, Carlos Dunlap, Sam Hubbard, and Geno Atkins, that's a good front line. It's not as good as the Niners with five first-round picks, as you guys saw. They tore through the Bengals line, too. And uh, uh, so, I, you know, I still think that's the strength of the Bengals team. So if they're getting pressure, if they're winning up front, it makes the defense much better. All right, Joe, one more question for you. This game so much reminds me in some ways of, of last year's first meeting between the Steelers and Bengals in this way. And I, and I want to get your take on where Bengals fans mentality is right now, because the Bengals are 0-3. They're, you know, they, don't, they don't look like a great football team right now, but neither do the Steelers. And this time last year, the Bengals were 4-1. The Steelers were 2-2-1. It felt like the Bengals could kind of put, you know, the foot on the throat of the Steelers and put them away and, and, and all of that. Now, the Bengals aren't going to have the opportunity to be, you know, to be 5-1 and this year, right? They're, they're 0-3, but they can send the Steelers to 0-4. How big a game is this for the Bengals to get that win, not just to, to get their season back on track, but to send the Steelers into what might be a tailspin? Yeah, that's right. The loser of this game is done, right? I mean, you can't be 0-3. Your chances are pretty slim, even though this division looks like it's up for grabs with every AFC North team losing this past weekend. But um, 0-4, that's it. I mean, there's no one comes back from 0-4 to make the playoffs. And you start to get into a different mode or a different mindset when you reach that, especially if one comes at the hand of, of a division opponent. That's also 0-3. The Bengals have played when they played the Seahawks. You know, uh, you guys, they're they're two and one right now. The 49ers are three and zero. Bills three and zero. They've played a good schedule. So going against an zero and three team for the first time, and they're still the Steelers, still a division rival. You, are both teams really zero and three? Are they better than that? You hope they're both. I think I think both perspectives would be we should be could have won a couple of these games. So um, it's really a test of your peer for the first time, and 
if one team goes out there and gets manhandled or beaten, that team's done and it's got to be done. You got to feel like your season is a wash at that point and you're going to forget about it quickly. So I think the Bengals don't want to go out there and have that happen. They don't want a 49ers game to happen because I think after the first game, we're like, okay, maybe the Bengals can win seven, eight, nine games this year. After week two, Bengals fans were like, hey, maybe they're three wins. And then <laughs> you come back and you go to Buffalo, you go toe to toe. They could have easily won that game with the Bills. And the Bills aren't a great team either. They gave the Bengals plenty of chances to win that game. And now you're 0-3. And now it's, okay, so maybe they are a 4-5 or five win team. Let's see the Steelers here. And if they go and lose, then, yeah, we're talking top five pick. All right, we're going to go to break. When we come back, we'll, we'll flip sides here. We'll talk about the Steelers side of this uh, Steelers-Bengals matchup on Monday night. This is Ross Jackson from Locked On Saints. This podcast is brought to you by Carvana. In the age of online retailers, buying a car should be no different. And that's why Carvana invented a brand new way for you to buy a car that's 100% online. Without leaving the comfort of your couch, you can browse and buy from their selection of almost 20,000 cars. And once you've made the purchase, your car comes to you, delivered right to your door, or you can go and pick it up from one of the coin-operated car vending machines. All of Carvana's cars come with a seven-day return policy, ensuring that you get a car that fits perfectly with your life. Not happy? Exchange it or return it for a full refund. And with its dedication to customer service, it's why hundreds of thousands of customers have ditched the dealership and given Carvana 4.7 stars in customer satisfaction. So check it out, the nation's fastest growing auto retailer at Carvana.com, C-A-R-V-A-N-A.com, Carvana.com. Now we'll take a quick word from our sponsor, MyBookie. It's a new season. There are some players that have moved around, a lot of new faces in the AFC North. Odell Beckham Jr. is here. Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell are gone. One thing that hasn't changed is where I'm putting my money down on the games, and that's my bookie. Really the best place to bet on football every weekend. My bookie has better bonuses and more prop bets than any other sport book, period. This year, they're hosting the first online handicapping super contest. First place is guaranteed to win at least 100000 and it only costs $100 to enter. All you got to do is pick five NFL games against the spread every week to climb the leaderboard and score your share of the huge cash prize pool. So if you think you're good at picking against the spread, 100 bucks, do it all season, see if you can win 100 grand. I might give that a try myself. Sounds fun. Besides the Super Contest, my bookie also has live in-game betting on every NFL game. So if you get the inkling, you have the inclination that the second half of that Seattle Bengals game in week one is going to go a certain way. Go put your money down. You can get up to a $1,000 bonus on your first deposit. You have to make sure you use promo code locked on to activate the offer when you sign up. So go visit my bookie online today. That's M Y B O O K I E. And don't forget to use a promo code locked on when creating your account to claim your bonus. We'll be right back. All right. And we're back. Locked on Bengals, locked on Steelers crossover Wednesday. This is Joe Goodberry here with Chris and Tony. And we're going to look at it from the opposite perspective now uh, when the Steelers have the ball. And I think the big story for us on the outside is uh, actually, no, let's not start with the big story. I want to get your guys perspective on the league story or the big national story of Antonio Brown and what you guys think of that from, uh, you know, from when he was traded to anything that has transpired in the last few months. Chris, you want to take that one? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Joe. We, we have not – there is no stoppage of talking about Antonio Brown in Pittsburgh. Well, first and foremost, at the time when, when Antonio Brown was traded, a lot of people, including myself, felt like, man, a third and a fifth, that seems like you got housed. Uh, but a, a, as, a, as is usual, 
the Steelers no, are, are uh, no more than they are letting on. And that's what happened with the, with the, with the trade. I think that they, they had, they had a good sense of uh, uh, that, this, that there were a lot more things co- going to unravel, maybe not the, the exact things that have been happening. Um, but, you know, since the trade, you know, getting a third and a fifth, they used that ammunition to move up and get Devin Bush, which was the, the linebacker they absolutely wanted in the draft. Um, and uh, that, that allowed them, that also gave them the ammunition to, to get Deontay Johnson, who's so far has looked like an impressive, impressive rookie wide receiver and has great footwork off the line of scrimmage right now. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, for Pittsburghers, it's just been a comedy of a tragedy for a lot of people. People, have been, people in Pittsburgh are enjoying seeing, you know, Antonio Brown go from, you know, his, his insanity with the frostbite and then his, you know, his spat with Mayock to his video with, with Gruden and then, you know, begging to be released and then celebrating getting released and then signing with the Patriots. And then, you know, he's he, he's trying to play the, the Boy Scout with the Patriots, but then he gets accused for, for domestic violence or, or, or sexual assault twice. Um, and then just just today, they released the, the official video of the, of the story last year was that he threw furniture off of the balcony of like a, a, a high luxury apartment into like a pool and it almost hit people. And you could see the furniture almost hit people. Uh, so it's just been, people have been kind of like, well, the Steelers got the best of that. And it, it's kind of just been the hustle of the Steelers to, to pass off their, their big name receivers to the Raiders for third round draft picks. They yeah. just a year ago with Martavis Bryant, that third round draft pick was used to, to go get, uh, Mason Rudolph. I think they actually got a fourth, and they trade use that to trade up to get the third to get Mason Rudolph. Um, and Mason Rudolph's now the starting quarterback with Ben Roethlisberger out. Um, but uh, Steelers fans couldn't be happier about it. But the problem is, the reality is, Joe, is that they have not figured out what to do with the, in this offense without Antonio Brown. Even when Ben Roethlisberger was back um, when, in, against the Bengals at the end of last season, and yeah, sure, there was a lot more of a cloud over the team because of the Antonio Brown stuff. But when he wasn't there, the offense couldn't move. And it took a, it took a really tough play from Juju and a, and a really defensive performance by the defense to, to win that game. And then in the Patriots, I mean, the offense looked lost. Ben Roethlisberger wasn't reading the field. Um, and uh, it, it just, they looked, they looked helpless. And uh, it started out that way against the Seahawks. But when Mason Rudolph came in, he moved the ball a little bit, made some big plays, put two touchdowns on the board. Um, so there was a little bit of hope. But against the Niners, that kind of went away. They looked a little bit more lost. And it's still looking like Juju Smith-Schuster, he's getting open. If you look at the All-22, in all games, he has been creating space and presenting targets, but he just hasn't been getting getting the targets uh, you know, that, that, he, that he should over the middle and uh, down the sideline. So uh, Antonio Brown on the field, X's and O's wise, and as a player – his that that player presence is missed, but he is him as a person is absolutely not missed in Pittsburgh. And there's I would say 95 percent of Pittsburghers are thinking, you know, thank you know, you know, they they are so glad that he's gone and don't care what happens on the field, regardless of him being gone. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, you know, I kind of compared it to when the Bengals got rid of Chad Johnson and it was, uh, you know, you had someone that everyone loved, but at some point you had to rip the Band-Aid off and, and right. start anew with those picks. But, uh, yeah, you mentioned Ben Roethlisberger, obviously the next biggest story for the Steelers right now. And Mason Rudolph is entering in in there. It's, it's, a, it's a weird dynamic, I think, because, number one, I don't know if you guys knew this, but the Bengals were really interested in Mason Rudolph that year. The Steelers traded up and, and got him, so uh, – 
You guys seem to have been doing that the last couple of years now. So we kind of now now we want Mason Rudolph. Payback for William Jackson. Exactly. And then what you, you doubled down with Devin Bush. We'll get there on the defensive side. So, But Mason Rudolph, I mean, what's the perspective of that? I mean, a third rounder, you don't typically think those guys are going to end up being franchise. Is it just a shot in the dark? See what he can do. I mean, he's got a full, almost full season here to prove himself. But the Steelers traded away their first round pick for next year is – is that a sign of they think Rudolph can be the guy if this means for Ben, you know, long term or a career? And is there any possibility that this is a career for Ben Roethlisberger? I think it's a sign of two things. One, we're talking about Mason Rudolph. I think the Steelers do believe that he is the future. There were a lot of reports and and there were hints at this by Kevin Colbert and Mike Tomlin himself that the Steelers had a first round grade on Mason Rudolph. That they were saying right after that draft, we had this guy rated as highly as you know, some of the other guys, right? And the other guys that were drafted were Lamar Jackson and Josh Rosen and Baker Mayfield, right? I mean, these were guys that were taken in the first round or highly in the first round. So they definitely think highly of Mason Rudolph. Now, as far as trading the pick away for next year for Minka Fitzpatrick, I think that that's a separate issue. That that goes down to two things. One, I think this team expects to have Ben Roethlisberger back in 2020. They, they announced yesterday the surgery was successful and, and he will likely be back in 2020. That, that timetable is is going to put him back in time for training camp. Um, and the Steelers needed a guy like Minka Fitzpatrick in their secondary. So they weren't, in my eyes, the, the Steelers knew they weren't going to go quarterback next year. They were going to go defense again, like they've done so many years in a row. They were probably going to go for a playmaker in the secondary, which is something they've so desperately missed since Troy Polamalu retired. And so Minka Fitzpatrick, you know, fit that. So whether they were going to take Grant Delpit next year, you know, it's, it's, it's Delpit or Minka in my eyes. And the Steelers, I think, made the right choice here to take a player that's a more proven commodity in the NFL, but um, you know Mason Rudolph so far, as far as can he be the guy going forward? Look, we're only six quarters into the Mason Rudolph experiment, right? And like you said, he's going to have a full season to prove this out. But the first six quarters aren't encouraging yet. Um, this is a guy who really struggled against the 49ers. Uh, he, he only threw, or only he only completed two passes that were more than one yard beyond the line of scrimmage. The last quarterback to do that, Tim Tebow. Uh, oh. So he's yeah. So he's not in great company just yet. But, you know, it, this is an offense that has been a quick pass offense. This has been an offense that that's been about getting the ball out of the quarterback's hand. So they tried to keep him within a structure. They tried to give him some easy throws. That's why so much of the offense was close to or behind the line of scrimmage. A lot of fans want to see this offense open up for Mason. The problem is, I think that's probably one of his biggest weaknesses right now, is seeing the field, is diagnosing the defense that's in front of him both before the play and and really after the play starts. Um, so he's got a long way to go development-wise, but you know, like, like you said, this is it's we're so early on here. That he's got another, what, 13 games to prove this. Um, we're, we're just in the early stages. I guess the early returns, you'd have to say, not great so far. And it's been a long time since you guys have had to look at a young quarterback or have a season like this, right? I mean, is is your outlook, as soon as Mason entered the game and, you know, the, the rumors were that night that Ben would be out for the year. But, uh, I mean, did you did your whole perspective change? Even at 0-2 at that time, you had to think, man, young quarterback for the first time in a long time. I mean, absolutely. There, there was a lot of things that changed. Um and it, because for the, the, when Ben Roethlisberger, he always starts slow, and that's the thing. In, in six quarters, he threw zero touchdowns and an interception. Um, in six quarters, Mason Rudolph has thrown four touchdowns and two interceptions, one of which wasn't his fault. It bounced off of Dante Moncrief's hands. That's another story. Uh, but 
but there's, there's a, but I mean, don't let the stats fool you that Ben Roethlisberger, they were still banking on him, turning things around and figuring things out in this offense to, to, to make their way. So, and, and I think, I think with Ben Roethlisberger there, there'd still be that hope. Even if they were, even if Ben Roethlisberger never got hurt and they were 0 and three right now, Steelers fans would be a lot more comfortable than they are with Rudolph there. But I think this opens the opportunity to evaluate Rudolph and say, is he the guy for the future or is he not? Because that's been the big question is, can he be the franchise quarterback? Even, you know, and and they're still competing. They're not, they're not, they're not going to just throw out the chance of making the playoffs this year or, or fight or fighting to the end. They're still competing, but they also acknowledge that this is the opportunity to see what this guy has. And if he can turn it around, if he can figure some things out in his own, then great. Then you you don't need to reinvest into the quarterback position anytime soon. um, Because even with Ben Roethlisberger, even when Ben Roethlisberger comes back, regardless of who starts and it most likely would be Ben Roethlisberger unless Mason Rudolph turns around and has the greatest, you know, start to his career, like Patrick Mahomes, like, which I don't, which I, I there's no way that happens. But um, uh, it, even if any of that happens, you got Ben coming back the next year and that buys you some time. So I, I don't even think this year, say like Mason Rudolph is horrible. I don't even think this year would be the year that they even try to trade up and get, a quarterback that they that they would think for the would be for the future. They would buy their time and see how much you know because they still got Ben for two more years. This elbow surgery could um, help get his arm back together, but um, but there's still excitement to see what Mason Rudolph is. A lot of people are very confident in, in him because uh, his first his first snap, he gets to the line of scrimmage against the Seahawks and uh, Jadavion Clowney's barking at him across the line of scrimmage, and he just like he just looks over and winks at Clowney and takes takes the snap and he, he comes out and he, he fired some decent passes on his first drive. They just weren't caught. Um, but, uh, and I think the biggest thing is Rudolph struggles to identify reads post snap. He's a great pre-snap reader. He will identify your, your looks. He'll say, Oh, one high, let's go here. Oh, two high. They're weak here. But when defenses disguise those looks and they shift after, after the snap, that's when you see him struggle. And that's, I think is his biggest obstacle because when he's that confused, you see him overlook open guys. He kind of gets in his own head, and those are when the mistakes come. And I think that's his biggest obstacle right now. I think he has the arm to play quarterback. I think he has the the, the size, and, and I like his footwork at, at, at trying to move in the pocket and, and then how to pick up yards downfield. He, uh, he took on Bobby Wagner for a third down conversion a couple weeks ago. I, I think there's a lot of potential. With, with him, but he has to get over his reads. And I think Randy Feekner has to help him identify, learn how to identify defenses better than he has so far, because that's his been, that's his weak spot is that when he's fooled, he looks like a deer in the headlights. All right. I want to get to the defense, but I guess I have one more offensive question. I guess I was, um, I'm much more interested in what you guys are doing over there. And that's with Juju and maybe Vance McDonald, but Juju is the number one now, and is he still getting put in the slot a lot? Is he still getting open? Is he having any struggles being the number one? And what is going on with the other receivers for the Steelers? Are any of these guys stepping up? Are any of them really contributing? Are they a threat from the perspective of the other team? I, I think, you know, is Juju a number one? It's hard to tell because they haven't – I mean, they just haven't gotten him the ball. And like like Chris said, he's been open, but the quarterback hasn't been able to find him. And first, that was Ben and in the slow start to Ben's – season as he usually does and now with Mason it feels like Mason Rudolph needs a a, you know a a safety blanket right I mean he needs that those easy throws and Juju should be that guy hasn't been so far he had just three catches um on Sunday and the problem has been that they really haven't established a true number two receiver right Dante Moncrief was supposed to be that guy it felt like throughout training camp that he was going to be that guy 
Uh, and that that was a, it's been a disaster this year. Uh, he dropped, I think, four passes against the Patriots, came back against the Seahawks, dropped another pass that got intercepted because it was tipped up in the air. Um, so he got benched. Uh, you know, James Washington and Mason Rudolph should have a lot of rapport and they should be able to put things together. That hasn't worked either. I think Deontay Johnson is probably the Steelers' best hope at this point at establishing a number two guy. He's done some nice things. Love his route running. Like Chris said, love the way he gets off the line of scrimmage. Um, but, you know, I don't think that this team has a I – mean, other than Juju, they don't have a surefire threat that they can put out there. Um, and so I, I think this team's going to have to focus on how do we get Juju the ball? How do we find him in space? And how do we get Mason – to look his way because that's you know that is the key to this offense is getting the ball to Juju. The other guys have to work themselves out. They haven't just yet, um, but they have a sure target in Juju. They just have to target him more. Right. So my last question is for the defensive side, and I want to know how um, Devin Bush is doing because he was a major target for the Bengals. He was someone we discussed, man, at length throughout the draft process. We probably talked about him for two hundred hours, two hundred hours on this podcast. And then I'd like to know, um, you know, how much did Mick and Fitzpatrick play last week, and what type of impact did he have on the defense? Well, first and foremost, Devin Bush, uh, he, his 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 athletic prowess has shown. Uh, he he's seventh in the league in tackles right now, and he is he leads the, the team with twenty nine tackles. He's flying all over the place, um, and he has two recovered fumbles. His his presence is definitely felt. And I think his biggest struggles have been kind of finding his comfort zone in certain situations he's unfamiliar with. Like, for example, guarding tight ends that are streaking down the field. He's uh, he, he's been victimized by tight ends quite a bit this season. He gave up two touchdowns to Will Disley back in week two. Um, he looked a little uncomfortable uh, th- this week as well. But um, I, he, when he covers running backs, when he covers wide receivers running crossing routes, he looks in his zone. I, I think that's where he's going to find his sweet spot. Um, he's all, he, the, I think the biggest problem has been the defensive line for the Steelers hasn't been as stalwart as it, as people are used to. And that's been la- allowing linemen to get to the second level and kind of prevent him from seeing the, seeing run plays, diagnosing them and, and, you know, dashing in and shutting them down. Uh, his, athletically it's there, but he still has to kind of put it together as far as schematically and how he fits in. And that comes with time. Ryan Chazier went through the same thing in Pittsburgh in his rookie season. People were saying, oh, he's a bust. And then within another year or two, they were like, oh, we love Ryan Chazier. He's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Um, and uh, and you know, Troy Polamalu went through a very similar phase in 2003. He was, uh, he was, he was, he was, you know, not looking great his first year. And he was, again, like, like, like Devin Bush, he was all over the place. You saw his athleticism, but he just looked late to the ball. You're like, oh man, this guy can't get it together. By 2004, that was a, that was a thing of the past, and he was becoming a prime playmaker for the for the Steelers. Um, but uh, as far as Mika Fitzpatrick, it's more the opposite. He was with the team less than a week, and he was being used in so many different facets and used well. They blitzed him. They had him cover the slot. They had him cover cover the underneath the middle. They had him cover deep. And uh, and they and they loved his presence. Uh, he came out the game with five tackles. Um, he uh, he forced a fumble on a, on a big hit on a on a on a decent run, and he had a really good interception. Uh, Joe Hayden tipped a pass on a tight on a tight throw, and Mika Fitzpatrick doing the thing that so many Steelers have not been able to came up and just snatched it out the air and and start and, and went right into return mode. He absolutely made his presence felt, and the Steelers love it. And and it's not just. The playmaking that he knew, he knew everywhere he was supposed to be. He was playing like he had been on this team for all through training camp. And that has been a fresh look for the team. Cam Hayward was speaking today at the Steelers facility about how 
you know, he is such a welcomed presence in the locker room because of how serious he takes the game and how, how, how good he's been at communicating and just working to get better with the system. And he's just get and he's just getting started. You know, the Steelers, the Steelers need a free safety with Sean Davis injured. And, uh, and with Micah Fitzpatrick, they need a ball hawk. They need a guy that's going to be like the Earl Thomas of the group. Terrell Edmonds is coming along. He's, he's making tackles. He's, he's very athletic. But Mika Fitzpatrick is like Terrell Edmonds, but with with the playmate, with the natural instinctive playmaker abilities that come into the game. I think he's going to revolutionize the defense. And I also think with the uh, with with Devin Bush and him and T.J. Watt and Edmonds, they got a lot of first round picks in the middle of in the middle of the field that that are young and talented and can be together for quite some time as this defense continues to grow. Yeah, that's a good point. They are young, and it's a, a lot of good resources there for the for the Pittsburgh Steelers. But I want to thank you guys for joining us and uh, doing this crossover for Chris and Tony of the Lockdown Steelers podcast. This is uh, Joe Goodby of the Lockdown Bengals podcast, and I wish the Steelers the worst of luck this Monday night. <laughs> Same to you. It's <laughs> a good way to end it. <laughs> Did you watch the 2020 Reds with higher expectations than a first-round wild-card exit of epic proportions? Did you think that the Reds hitting would come around with the signings that they made last offseason? Are you wondering who is asking you all of these questions? Hi, my name is Jeff Carr, and I host the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, every day. Throughout the offseason, I'm going to take a look at these Reds, how they fix what didn't work in 2020, and how they continue their success in 2021. But wait, there's more. I'll also have interesting interviews with players, writers, and everyone in between talking about the Cincinnati Reds. Come join me on the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day.